No. I left at like nine thirty. Maybe maybe ten. I got up early. I do, but I but I am not gonna take your coffee. No, that's traveling. Very few life rules. Like immutable life, and one of them is if you're in a place that grows bananas, eat bananas. The morning after a wedding, any big party really, is usually a little groggy. It's not necessarily unpleasant though, especially if it's February in northern Thailand, and the air is a little bit cool and very humid, and you're kicking around in a quiet village along the Ping River with someone like Francis Lamb. Francis, besides being a classically trained chef, former New York Times columnist, lauded cookbook editor at Clarkson Potter, and host of The Splendid Table on American Public Media, is also one of the truly good people in the world of food and letters. So I was pleased not just to get some good stories from his time in Thailand, but also to be able to annoy the living shit out of him with one very trashy word, a portmanteau really, near the end of our interview. I may not be an adversarial news magazine reporter anymore, but it's good to know I can still piss an interview subject off for business or for pleasure. This is Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening to The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Recording hungover. Um, <laughs> let me get your level. What? Uh, uh, I'm going to ask you, I know this, I know the answer to this, but what did you have for breakfast today? I had two slices of head cheese, cold from the refrigerator. And I had a little sip of coffee, and I had uh, half of a Thai banana. Yeah, and you fed me the other half, which was... With my hands. Th- yeah, which was uh, lovely. Don't tell our wives. <laughs> this was, is really getting dicier and dicier. It was a phenomenal banana. <laughs> um, it actually was. It's like, as, as you really pointed good, out... really good, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is why I want to talk to you. I feel like you are this kind of deep well of just little ideas that... Makes sense. What you said is like when you're in a place that grows bananas, eat a eat, fucking banana. Eat bananas. Well, you didn't say fucking banana. You you were. I was more genteel than that. Yeah, but but it was so true. And we had a banana. It was great. <laughs> it was a good idea. It was like a very different banana. Uh, this is the quality content that makes for a trending podcast. <laughs> Let's get back on iTunes charts, baby. Um, so Francis, tell me, what are we drinking this morning? So we're drinking coffee from Akaama which is a producer here in Thailand. I don't think Thai coffee really gets exported. I don't think people think of Thailand as a coffee-producing place, but it's gotten a lot more popular domestically. So like, there's a lot of coffee grown here for people in Thailand. I think it's like a, a little bit like, a, you know, like a, a growing middle-class thing, sort of like an aspirational lifestyle thing slash young Instagram influencer thing, um, which is why coffee is like really grown here. But... Um, Coffee grown as in like a cultural thing, but like literal coffee is being grown here, mostly up north. Um, and this particular coffee is a social enterprise uh, started by this man named Lee Ayu, and I'm really sorry, I don't know his last name, but he just goes by Lee, and his real name is Ayu, and I think that's all you kind of need to know to, to find him. But he's this incredible 
dude who is a member of the Aka tribe. So, okay, here's the deal with tribes in Thailand. And I'm not an expert in this whatsoever. I just happen to know a little bit about it because I edited a book. <laughs> You, where it was talked about. You looked it up. <laughs> I looked it up, but like I looked it up in like original Word doc manuscript form, dude. Oh, before it came out on Google. Get out. <laughs> All right, get it. Tell tell me what you've learned. So um, most of the Thai people are Thai, ethnically Thai, but there are you know lots of ethnic minorities within Thailand who are not seen as being Thai, both ethnically and in some cases like nationally. Yeah, they tend to live up north, up in the mountains or in the hills. They're referred to as hill tribes, which I think is like the more polite term for it, but like a little bit dicey. You know, oh, really? Like, I don't. I don't think the term is dicey, but I think if you start talking about, it's like talking about those people. You yeah, know, it's kind of yeah. like that kind of vibe, right? Because you're putting like Shan together with Aka or whatever, like the different groups who or Tayo. I mean, there's like yeah, the Tai Lu and yeah, these different ethnic groups. They're they probably don't all want to be the hill tribes collectively right but it just sort of otherizes them but the yeah. point is there are these tribes and they're for a long time not seen as being you know fully thai people or you know equal to thai people or in some cases not really people and lee is this really smart thoughtful eloquent articulate guy God, that sounds like Joe Biden talking about Barack Obama. <laughs> right, like that was really, that sounded gross. I was, I but did, the, but yes. the reason why I bring up the eloquence is because there's this like sort of like awesome story about him, which is um, he started this coffee company as a way to bring you know, a new industry to his people. And they grow this really nice coffee. You know, it's not just like, oh, hey, we can make this thing. It's like, no, we're making it at a really high level. And he's like really thought about, you know, thoughtful roasting and like, you know, what are contemporary trends in coffee roasting and all that stuff. And they make this really great coffee. He was on like, national Thai TV once and the story goes that he shows up at the studio and you know they put this outfit on him they you know they do his hair and makeup and and wardrobe and he just looks in the mirror like what the fuck did you do to me because they gave him this like super like farmery like haircut that just made him like a bumpkin yeah they made him look like a bumpkin and they put him in like this outfit that was two sizes too big so he looked tiny and he comes out, and the host of the show is this woman, and she's wearing this like very stereotypical like ethnic dress. Wow. And apparently it was just like, okay, you're trying to humiliate me. And he took it and was just like totally unfazed and talked in beautiful, central, th- academic Thai, like very like high-level, like elite-sounding yeah. Thai. Yeah. And this is where like the articulateness and eloquence comes yeah. in. like. And he just talked about, oh, the mission of what they do and the science of what they do. And that's sort of seen as a, a somewhat pivotal moment in like, oh, a changing attitude towards, I, I don't know, maybe that's like overstating it. This is what I was told. But like the next day, people were trying to like find his cafe and looking for him and wanted to talk to him and wanted to learn about what he does and wanted to learn about, oh, what's the culture of your tribe like and things like that. Like Damn, he was never deep. asked. Um, right. In public or in private. And this is one of the things where, like, you know, as a food person, you know, like, whatever, I've been in food media for a long time and used to be a cook. And but as much as I love food, I've always been really interested in people, right? And part of what that means is, like, oh, I'm always really interested in social equity and, like, you know, how we, how people view one another and how we can honor and respect one another as, like, co-inhabitants on this planet that's dying at our fucking hands. Um, and so one of the ways that I think about how do I justify the fact that I work in food if I care about these other things? And well, a really important way to think about that is what are the ways that you can speak to people in a way that can circumnavigate 
maybe their prejudices and then get to a point where, oh, now we can connect in a different way. And, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche in food writing, right? We're like, oh, food brings us together. And I don't think we can pretend it's that simple. But there are ways where you can be smart and strategic about it. And here he is doing this thing, creating this drink that is at this very moment right. a cool thing, right? a cool new thing, a cool different thing. So people are already coming to this culture of coffee drinking with sort of an open mind because they know they don't know a whole lot about it yet, right? So it doesn't matter that you're different. Maybe that's like adding to the, you know, my level of education about it. Yeah. Well, especially in then co-opting, you know, kind of the aspirations of a cosmopolitan Bangkok Thai, for example. Yeah. I mean, I remember we were in South Africa and went into Kailicho, which is a township, and they had, these guys were running a shop that was grant started, but it actually become quite popular. And it was like high-end coffee. And it was all run by these three young men who were from the township. And their basic point was like, we just look at white people drinking coffee all the time. We're like, well, why are they having that? Like, it looks it looks calming. It looks nice. They like to have it. We know that we can get it to our people, too. And it is also this way of, like, sort of saying, like, this thing that you really admire, oh, yeah, we got that. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this coffee is, like, listen, I know jack shit about good coffee. You know, <laughs> all I, you know, we work in Brooklyn. We have, like, an Instagram famous coffee shop in our elevator lobby like i'm constantly (laughs) humbled by my own ignorance about what coffee should taste like but it smelled super good it's the stuff that you're going to want in your super high-end shop in chiang mai uh as well so it's pretty rad that he's doing it and he's got the name of his tribe in his brand yeah so this is like very very upfront about this is now a tribal product right um and you guys have to respect that on some level right yeah lee's a pretty cool dude and there were some other people who I've met, you know, while we've been over here the past few days, uh, the guy who runs Black Kitchen in town, which is like, you know, you talk about the middle class of Chiang Mai, like, this is like a nice high-end restaurant for Thai people. And he's like building this clientele of cooking for Thai people in a way that they used to only be able to cook for foreigners. And it's like, that shit's pretty good to see, you know. Yeah. Um, you met that dude? Yeah. I was like trying to get a reservation tonight. You think you'd hook me up? Yeah, I'll get you hook up. <laughs> Yeah, man. He and I are Instagram buddies I'm actually being serious. Yeah, We don't have to send this to the podcast world. Yeah. Hey, guys, this is how it goes down. The the dirty back dealing among the food media. (laughs) Get me a table, please. Uh, He was was rad. I mean, it's just like I, I feel like I've learned about, you know, three months of things in the last two days just being dropped, like parachuted into the middle of this community. Um that we're here for it's like little revelations like that like that guy's struggle now to create a restaurant that's really high end and really well executed and and for his people is pretty awesome yeah so what are we here for what's we we're, we're here outside of chiang mai in a village about 40 minutes north yeah we are here for uh the wedding of kun narata and andy ricker most people probably don't know who Kunarata is, but Andy Ricker is the chef and owner of Pak Pak restaurants in the States. This is, a, this is why you can't have a show host as your guest, because now I'm like, well, let me do my host shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to back announce this afterwards. I'm never happier than when someone <laughs> is doing my work for me. In fact, I brought some statistics. I, I literally did. I'm going to drop this on you in a minute. I brought some statistics from your show about Thai food. And I just, it's like, I'm so happy. I'm like, I get to listen to your show, have you guys do the research. I'm going to drop your stats on you and have you just take it away. <laughs> when you said I brought the statistics from your show, I was like, oh, fuck, are my downloads down? <laughs> 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 I'm getting fired tomorrow. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
you're really not you're underperforming in the key uh you know 18 in the key demo demographic yeah. all right so yeah conan by the way is a good instagram follow i mean even just watching her this morning just <laughs> she's clearly that woman is a force um but yeah andy's food famous one for pock pock yeah and he got married and he attracted a, an unusual number of people like you and i who would come halfway around the world for it which I think it's a testament to, uh, to him. He's a good dude. Yeah. And by the way, I think that might be the best food that I ever had last night, which is why we were eating head cheese at 8 in the morning this morning, just to like test whether it was actually as good as I remembered it. <laughs> did that really exist? It did. What, so what did we have last night? It was like we had fermented pork. That was the dish for me. That was crazy, right? Which was cooked by Lee's mom. Is it that was, right? Uh, I think she made like the peanut dip. Okay. But... Actually, it's funny because I say peanut dip and it's like, oh, no, Thai food. Like, I've had that. No, this is like a really different thing. I'm sorry. I don't want to confuse people. So, okay. So who cooked at Andy Ricker and Kuhn's wedding? And yeah. it's like, you know, a bunch of friends in the food world just literally came together. And the day before the wedding, we're just kind of hanging out in a kitchen and a pig met its maker <laughs> and yes. its corporal remains were brought to us still warm. And you know, this Italian chef Paolo was like, I'll make a porchetta and cut out the middle of the pig and rolled up a porchetta. And these other dudes were like, Hey, let's dig a pit, smoked half a pig. And it was a pretty wild affair. But what was really special and um, a real privilege was that some of Andy's friends from Thailand came too, including this guy, Lee's mother, who was a, a you know just a lovely home cook, and she came and brought this konamprik aka. So it, it's it's like a chili dip essentially. You mm. eat it with a little bit of rice or with some vegetables, you, like a, a wedge of cabbage, and you sort of like just dip into this pounded mass of chilies and um, peanuts. And uh, it's not like the sweet sticky peanut sauce you think of in Thai food. It's really like sort of chili and sort of limey. Yeah, I, I can't really describe it, but it was like this beautiful puree they just kind of couldn't stop like dipping vegetables into i think you're on it yeah they and they just had this massive bag and it was like so good yeah yeah, yeah. and and th there's this restaurant i don't know in the middle of nowhere off the side of the highway that andy has been going to for a long time run by this couple and all they do is like grill meats like one of their specialties is they'll like you know marinate pork and then grill it until it's like pretty dry like what in Western standards would be like, quote unquote, overcooked. What they do is they take it off after it comes off the grill. And he literally has a hammer, like a hammer you'd pound nails in with and just starts bashing it until it sort of like shreds. And it's kind of like feathery and shreddy, but it you know tenderizes after you bash it up and you dip it into these like chili sauces or this, they have this awesome condiment where you take galangal, which is sort of like a cousin of ginger. Is it blue ginger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like... Yeah. mince it super fine and you stir fry it for 45 minutes dry so it basically like dehydrates into like this powder and then with chilies and sh and garlic and shallots and then they pulverize the whole thing and it's incredibly like aromatic and spicy and you're like what the fuck i'm like eating like a hot flour that's what it tastes like i'm eating a hot flour <laughs> and you sprinkle that over this like grilled meat and one of their specialties is this um, really cool thing where they take pork they add cooked sticky rice to the pork and then just kind of let it hang out for three days until it ferments and gets sour. Then they take that and like drop an egg into it, wrap it up in banana leaf and then like slowly grill it. And they cook it beautifully where the egg is just set and right. the pork is like just cooked. So yeah. it's like this creamy, sour, tangy, meaty pork patty. And you're like, what am I eating right now, dude? It's so amazing. And so right when the 
comes off the grill uh, and they unwrap the banana leaf and it's just like this fucking surprise, <laughs> you know, because it <laughs> Merry is fermented. Christmas. Yeah. Merry and Christmas, Farang. I had this sticky rice, uh, fermented sticky rice drink also here that, that had a lot of that same taste, you know, it's oh, like cool. it's just that little like that sourness and that, that uh, and almost a, a bit of a sake kind of flavor that comes into it, but to have the pork fermented in that and then with the perfectly like sort of half poached egg in there, it's ridiculous. It's pretty bananas. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bananas. Phenomenally. It's a phenomenal banana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, that was, you know, I'm a, I'm a taker. I mean, this is why I wanted to come here. It's like, I kind of thought that that kind of shit would go down, you know, <laughs> that like we would drop into some of the best cooking and eating that you could, you could possibly hope to find. Yeah, yeah it was, it was that. I mean, I, is this like a dick move to be talking about this food that we ate that was so incredible that is absolutely inaccessible to you, the listener? <laughs> Uh, unless you invest the you time go, to come to Chiang Mai. You should go to these people's place. Yeah, exactly. Because they are cooking. Uh, they're, I mean, I guess Lee's mom's a home cook, but these other people are like, they will make this for you in a restaurant transactional way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's just extraordinary. But it's kind of why I wanted to talk to you. I mean, you and I, I think we live on the same subway line. Like, we can talk <laughs> at any point. The moment that you're in, for me, is like really cool, you know, to kind of see and hear you talk about it because you are, you know, you can take your headphones off or something, but you're one of the great food voices out there. I mean, you're a classically trained chef. You write beautifully, have written for all the publications that people want to, to, to be in, and you run this show, The Splendid Table, which does a job of communicating food through audio, which is super fucking hard. It's amazing. <laughs> and you have done shows about Thailand. Uh, you just finished editing a book, which is your second book about Thai food, right? So you have all of this connection to both food and Thai food in particular, and yet you've never fucking been here. I know, right? This is pretty rad to, to see you now on your third day ever in Thailand. Well, and, first of all, you yeah. just exposed me as a fake. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have to, I'd say thank you for saying all that. That's re really incredible here. I haven't yet written for Roads and Kingdoms, which is, you know, a lifelong aspiration. <laughs> um, Brother, save up some money first and, uh, you know, <laughs> then come, come see us when you're feeling generous with your time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I'm by no means whatsoever an expert in, in Thai food. I mean, thank you for saying that. I just don't want people to get that impression at all. But I you know, have edited two books that are largely about Thai cooking. And you have a cook's like obsession with the greatness of what you have been exposed to, you know, the, sure, sure, the, sure. the different kind of flavors that, that you've gotten to see in the States as well. But, you know, this is actually something that's really interesting, too, right? Because I feel like, oh, there's stuff you could know intellectually. There's stuff, like, literally I could have read in a book yeah. and or, like, you know, typed over in a book. You know? But when you come to the place and you start eating the food, and even though I, because I've read this recipe and six drafts of this recipe, in theory, I kind of know what it's sort of going to be like-ish because I know the process and I know the ingredients and I know... You know, the author has talked about, you know, this is the flavor profile of this issue or whatever. Until you eat it in the place, in the context of other people who also cook a version of this dish, you really have no idea, right? And I don't want to get into, like, you know, the conversation about, like, oh, is this quote-unquote authentic? Is that authentic? Because that's more about, oh, when we're in the States, are you getting something, quote, oh, just like they would make in Thailand? But that's, like, a ridiculous question because, like, oh, in Thailand, you might have something just tastes like the thing you made. And maybe that's a great version of the thing or maybe that's a terrible version of the thing. Like, it, it's sort of immaterial, right? Or, like, the person next to them making that dish in the same market might have a totally different flavor because, like, they season it differently. But it's still 
the same dish. You know, so I don't want to get into like, oh, what's authentic about it? Yeah. But it I was mean, just, and I have I have spent a fair amount of time in Thailand. I've had some whack ass pad Thai. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like it, it exists. It out exists here, for so. sure. Like there's still always going to be like. I don't know if it's like good food and bad food, although that obviously exists, but also like food that makes sense to your palate and mm-hmm. your expectations and food that doesn't. And I think it's really also important to like recognize like, oh, you can't necessarily overlay that onto good and bad until you've been here long enough to yeah. really absorbed it. This is all really sort of convoluted and sort of like maybe pretentious way of talking about the fact that literally like when I landed, I had a layover, I flew into Bangkok and then my layover into Chiang Mai, you know, my author, Austin Bush, who wrote this book called The Food of Northern Thailand, which is incredible. And it's actually been really awesome to spend two days with him here so far and to see him literally hand the book over to cooks who gave him recipes for the book. Yeah, yeah. Austin is like this bizarre creature who reads and writes <laughs> Thai fluently and, and has been going from kind of village to village collecting recipes and thoughts and ideas and doing it in this way that's like very integrative and you can read the kind of the kindness and consent, I guess, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, on the page. It's really, it's a great book. I, we will definitely put it in the show notes. Oh, great. So these people can order it. Great. And find it for themselves. But yeah, so you got to be with him in that process. Yeah, when he like has for the first time handed a copy of the book over to someone who had given him a recipe and turned to the page where, you know, this is your picture of you cooking this dish and have them look at it and just be like, oh, you know, it's been this really beautiful thing. Um, yeah, you don't get that as a book editor a lot, right? No, right? You don't, you don't see like, how it yeah. exists in the world, how the book exists in the world and how it touches people in the mm, world, right? Yeah. And anyway, my point is like, you know, he was saying, oh, like, don't bother eating in the Bangkok airport. The food there is terrible. Well, I'm like, okay, but I had a three-hour layover, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get there too late for dinner or whatever, so I'm going to eat something. And I went to this place that probably he thought was terrible, and I ordered this dish that I'd never seen before. It was a noodle dish. That was really freaking nice to me, dude. <laughs> yeah. But I have no frame of reference. I'm like, whoa, if this is, like, terrible, that's pretty cool. So then you came up here, and what was the first thing you ate when you, uh, when you got off the plane in Chiang Mai? Actually, Andy Ricker had just left a dinner where a bunch of people, you know, they hosted a dinner for people who were here ahead of time and they were running near the airport. So he swung over and picked me up at the airport, which was super nice. And like literally within 20 minutes of me being like, hey, I'm in the country. Oh my God, it's great to see you. Well, congratulations, big hug. We're at a noodle shop on the right, and you know, on the side of the road that he'd never been to, but he like kind of looked at it and was like, this place looks like it might be all right. And we had this bowl of noodles with... You know, a lot of Chinese influence, there were like Chinese, those Chinese roast pork slices in it, but it tasted very Thai in, in terms of the palate. There was like, there was lime, and there was garlic, and there was chilies. And we had this cool conversation about how like, does this taste Chinese to you or does it taste Thai to you? And I'm like, to me it tastes Thai, but I also think, you know, I can't divorce that from the fact that like, no, I know where I am. Yeah. And he's like, because I think this is supposed to be a Chinese dish. And we had this really cool conversation about like, oh, what does it mean to have a quote unquote Chinese dish in Thailand? Right, right. right where it's geared towards a Thai palate, geared towards a Thai taste, and obviously cooked by Thai people. Mm. Like, what is that dish now? Yeah. Like, you want, like, that dish is Thai because of all the reasons I just said. Yeah. But in what ways does it speak to where it, quote, unquote, came from? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's also one of the things that's also really interesting about, like, when people argue about authenticity, it's like, well, food is a story of migration, right? Food is a story of how people have moved and ideas have moved over places, like, through places over time. So, like, yeah, yeah that dish might have been Chinese in its origin, but it totally tastes Thai. Right. And it's made by Thai people. Yeah. And it's accepted by Thai people as a Thai dish at this point. You know, it's like... it's like, And, and I mean, and also, like, the history of the Chinese in Thailand is both ancient and then all 
very current and tied into the politics through Shinawatra. And like, this is why you can get fried rice everywhere in Southeast Asia. Right. It's because there are Chinese communities who are often persecuted, are sometimes are sometimes in charge. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. super fascinating. And it's always kind of in competition and in collaboration with the culture that had always been there. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very Chinese. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, a lot like, of dishes. The way I was taught to make sense of the world, right, is to think about countries. And the countries have national borders. Like, stuff within the borders of Thailand is Thai. Right. Which, like, still makes sense as, like, an organizing principle in a lot yeah. of ways. But then when you start thinking about things like culture and yeah. things like food and things like people, pretty important, you know, in, like, what constitutes a country, right? That stuff is so much more fluid. And sometimes borders are pretty hard. Right, and sometimes they're really, really soft. Chiang Mai is in a super interesting place because it was kind of the uh, the home base, you know, when Myanmar was a military dictatorship, which it sort of is becoming again. Someone's uh, making Burma great again <laughs> over there, you know. But Chiang Mai was the home for all the people who were helping refugees and people who had escaped, and you know, mm-hmm. and all these ethnic groups exist on both sides of the border, you know. So even in the most repressive military government that Southeast Asia had known in the last 30 years, you still had like this flow of arms and people and food mm-hmm. and ideas. And it's just like, it just, it's impossible. You can't, you, you can't prevent it. It's, it's happening. You are with your neighbors, you know? Right. So I guess on the positive side, then you have, you have the idea that, that food can kind of be an expression of that. And again, the finding the complexity in Thai food in the U.S. is also super interesting to me and why I'm incredibly lucky to be here and just like taste these things that I had never tasted before and go way beyond what, what I knew even of Thai food. Sure. Um, but these are the stats from your own show that you would, because you did this great episode on, on Thai food in, in the States. You said in the last 15 years, the Thai population has doubled. Doubled. And these dudes open restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> like you said something like that at 10 times the rate of like Mexicans, you know, yeah, yeah. everybody loves Mexican food and Mexicans, great cooks and they open a lot of restaurants, but Thai people are out there just like, I'm here now. I'm going to start cooking for y'all. You yeah. know, I guess that's going to then open up beyond what, what I know of Thai food because they do bring like you got a lot of Thai Chinese chefs. You have Northern Thai cooks who are opening restaurants, uh, and is so is that something that you see in the states too? Is like that that we can maybe start to talk about Thai food in a more layered way than than we had in the past. Like in terms of like oh, Thai food in America, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, I do think the vast majority of restaurants are still their cultural expressions, but their cultural expressions primarily as like commercial enterprises, right? So it's like you, you got to play the hits without using like yeah like. Yeah, exactly. Like, what I try to sound highfalutin about, basically, it's like, you got to give people what they're going to give you the five ninety five for, right? Yeah. And, like, yeah. that's a Pad Thai special with a can of Coke. You know, it's like, there is a lot of that. And the vast majority of, you know, Thai restaurants in America sell that kind of food and that style of food. There's actually a really fascinating wrinkle to that, which is the Thai government actually has training programs for Thai people who are going to, like, go abroad. They train... Thai people and how to open Thai restaurants and how to cook, you know, this sort of no roster way. of foods. Yeah. That's and, amazing. And, you know, Soft people, power. Yeah, totally. Those people go around the world and open restaurants. And it's not like they're being sent. It's like, oh, but you're going to emigrate or whatever. And they feel like, oh, the Thai food is one of the things that puts Thailand on the global map or put, you know, the yeah. global consciousness. So, like, let's make sure that you can serve this, like, greatest hits roster of Thai dishes and you can make them to, like, 
a standard that you know we abide by. And I don't know if these are great restaurants or great restaurateurs, right? Because it's literally like oh, it's basically like franchising, right? It's like right. A, a global franchise model only like set up by the Thai government, right? And so like I don't know how great the food is, but the <laughs> thing that's also really amazing is they're really into setting this standard of what a green curry is supposed to be and a yellow curry is supposed to be, which as we've said for the last. 30 minutes is like a really hard project and probably like foolhardy right. because things are supposed to change and your green curry should taste different than mine because you're right. a different cook than me. But they're really into standardizing this thing. And apparently they have developed or are developing a robot that can smell the food and tell you if this is like a proper green curry or not. <laughs> are you kidding me? This is, I, this is science fiction. I have heard this from several different sources who are like well-placed so you got the like hegemony robot. Is... The hege- yeah, the, the hegemony robot. The well, hegemony I... three thousand is gonna taste your curry. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, uh, uh. Or galangal. Yeah, <laughs> more galangal. Uh, oh my lord! I mean, that's funny though, because that was one of the issues when I think uh, they made some, like cuisine in Japan became a UNESCO protected you know, heritage item and then, or even like what, uh, you know, Matt had written about in Pasta Pani Vino, like the, the pizza Nazis in, in, yeah, 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 in yeah, Naples, yeah. you know. Like you that have is to not, fold the crust twice before That's my term, not this. Don't go after Matt. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he calls it, they're more like a police force, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. where they go around and, and do spot inspections and on people who are claiming to serve the certified pizza to yeah, make yeah, yeah. sure that the skirt under is just exactly right. But it's like trying to, I don't know, hold water in your hand. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's, I don't think technology is going to solve it either, but <laughs> I could be wrong about that. <laughs> I mean, they, I, I mean, yeah, that's crazy. There is this project by the Thai government, right? And like that is to some degree a spot spot. You know, you can't say it's all because of them just sending people out to open these restaurants. But that is still going to be the vast majority of the kind of and like you know that is the taste that at least I can speak to like. An American clientele or like a you know like a New York clientele you know where I live you know that's the thing that most people expect in the same way that oh when you order Chinese takeout you expect your general sauce to taste a certain way you know it sort of gets boxed and then kind of kept in that box but there are definitely more and more restaurants opening across the country where you know Thai cooks want to show different aspects of their cooking, right? Different aspects of their cuisine. Maybe they're from a particular region of Thailand. They want to show northern cooking and they want to show Isan cooking, which is the northeast of, of Thailand. And I think they're seeing more and more openness around it and more and more willingness to experience it. And so like, oh, they're feeling emboldened to do their thing. I mean, Andy Ricker just closed his restaurant in Brooklyn, but a restaurant moved into its space that's doing regional Thai food. No kidding. That's opened by Thai people. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. it's like, uh, that's now the Thai spot. Yeah. It's just been blessed. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know. I'm, we had the monk come already once. We don't need to have the monk come again. <laughs> tell me tell me something you learned in the last couple of days, like, that surprised you. Oh, man. Um, I learned that I'm an old man. What and happened? <laughs> what happened to you? What? I left the party at like 10 o'clock, man. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it was at least five hours before like an acceptable leaving time. But, you know, there I was. Gone. Yeah. And now my voice, by the way, is an octave deeper because I did not leave the party at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and I got the right the fuck out of dry January uh, very intensely. I um, think it was like, didn't you say it was like 12.03 and you had a drink in your hand? Yeah, 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 that's exactly right, yeah. Um, and, you know, I was, I was talking about this with David, too. You know, one of the things that Bourdain had that was really phenomenal was an instinct to leave a party early. 
And the better the party was, the quicker he would leave. And I think Lori Wolver had talked about that. It was just like, you know, because he he knew the, the siren call of a really great party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not have that gene. Like, I'm the complete opposite. If that's a, And last night was a great party. I'm like... He's done more living than most people, though. That's true. And he there would be times when he would go and get his. And, yeah. like, you know, we definitely had those nights, too. But I, I made it just a very instant appraisal at the party last night. I was like, this is a great party. <laughs> I'm going to go absolutely as hard and as long as I can uh, on it. So, all right. So you learned you're an old man because yeah. uh, you went to bed on time. Uh, <laughs> Even when I came home and worked. Oh, yeah. How yeah, bad yeah. is that? Yeah, you got Wi-Fi in this spot. I got Wi-Fi and I was fucking editing <laughs> manuscripts. I was just like, what the hell's wrong with my life? But you know, hey, listen. This is uh, this is the word that uh, just had, had infected my mind since I went to the New York Times travel show uh, a week ago. Bleacher. <laughs> no, fuck that shit. Yeah, bleacher. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Get that shit out of my ear. Bleacher, man. Stop it. Stop saying it. And bleacher. I was like, well, we, well, you're saying it again. We're bleacherists. Fuck you. <laughs> we're part of the bleacher class. <laughs> I fly bleacher class, which is actually has in the back of the plane, sadly. But <laughs> that's uh, definitely economy. It's, it is a. It is. It's just true. It's how. It's how we can get to do stupid shit like fly across the world, tear a hole in the ozone layer <laughs> to go to a wedding. Uh, you know, uh, so, but that's what it is. We're working, we're, we're leisuring, we're, we're bleisure bitches. <laughs> this is terrible. I mean, I, this is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm inflicting this on you. I had had such a tough time with this word in my head over the last week. And now I'm, Now you're just laying it all on me. Yeah. On you and on our poor listeners who are going to have to go and think like, am I living a bleisure life? <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, so you came I'm feeling, home. I, I actually, I'm actually feeling nauseated. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. It may be the fact that I've eaten nothing but, like, chilies for two days straight, but I'm, my that's, stomach is upset right now. Yeah, yeah. You should. That's a, that's a deep soul rot right there. Um, so we're all bleasuring. Uh... Fucking stop it. <laughs> right now. Uh Okay, like a culinary thing I learned? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like a little take-home for Mm. the cooks in the audience? That would be fantastic. Okay, there was this incredible dish that... um, So David Thompson, you mentioned a couple times. Maybe we should introduce him a little further. He's a British... or No, Australian. Yep. Actually, We're we're not totally sure about that. He's somewhere from the Commonwealth. He's a Commonwealther. Um, He has a very posh accent, but he is sort of known... To the chagrin, but also to somewhat to a degree of pride, I think, uh, among Thai people as like one of the great Thai chefs living today. And the reason is he started doing something that not a lot of people were doing. So there's this really incredibly rich history and tradition of written recipes in Thai cuisine that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And not a lot of cuisines have that necessarily. Right. Right. Um, like actually like people wrote down how you make these dishes and had like this written canon of dishes. And so he's dug into that history and started serving those dishes that people hadn't cooked in a lot of cases. Like these dishes that got extinct for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Um, and that was the cuisine that he was presenting at this restaurant called Nam in Bangkok. And then I think he had another one in London. And so on some level it was amazing because, holy shit, how do you get to taste food that hasn't existed in 200 years? And another level it's like, why did it take like a white guy, like a non-Thai guy to do that? Yeah. Or like, or maybe do that in a way that, Oh, international media wanted to talk about and like you know, yeah, bring up as oh, this is a great idea. This great Thai chef is not Thai, you know, like whatever. It's complicated, but he's a good friend of Andy's. He was here, 
and he was the best man in the wedding, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and some of the people who've worked him for years, including this uh, chef Prin Bolsuk, who really has functionally run David's restaurant while David was like, you know, doing business internationally and stuff. So this guy Prin, yeah, has been. Dude, it was rad watching him work. That dude is yeah. a fucking beast. Yeah, an animal. And he was like just like cool looking his hair is like a little bit long it's kind of like graying salt and pepper he's he's got his glasses up on his head and he's got like running shoes and this t-shirt that's like very fashionably ratty you yeah. just look fucking cool this yeah. dude just look fucking cool well, he's, he'd, he was, he'd be like the sixth member of Carabaldang or like one of those like Thai rock bands yeah you know? he just like, looked like that dude could like just shred <laughs> and like he would just he, he was like one of these like magic fingers people mm-hmm. you know like it didn't even look like he was trying super hard yep he had this big cleaver. He's like, bark, 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 just like chopping chunks of pork Dude, belly. He fucked some lemongrass up. I remember he just <laughs> he brought it out of the fridge, smacked it with the cleaver until it just like cried for mercy, and then <laughs> chopped it fine. And it was all yeah. It was just like emotion, you know. Mm. Just like throwing stuff in the pot. Didn't have that cool, like kind of like very like militaristic precision, like you know, like ballet. Like oh, when you watch them work, it's like a ballet. It wasn't like that. He was just like fucking cool yeah it didn't look like he was trying really hard and he had sunglasses on top of his head like kind of holding his hair back a little yeah. bit the whole time mm. yeah life goals man yeah and he had this soup that was just wild good there's like sour spicy pork belly and pork offal soup and he had two of his dudes making this dish it was like a tofu club sandwich <laughs> it was like a slice of tofu and then like a like a really awesome like fish sauce marinated ground pork and then more tofu, and then more pork, and then more tofu, and like these giant, like unwieldy sandwiches. But then they took the whole thing, steamed it, so it kind of like stuck together, like the meat cooked, and then it like sort of stuck the tofu together, let it cool, and then deep fried it until like the tofu was super crunchy. And then you had like the soft tofu, and you had the meat on the inside. They take it out, and then they sprinkle like five spice powder, and like cilantro, and fried garlic chips on it. And A, it was fucking incredible. But B, okay, so getting back to the thing I learned, aside from like, no, now I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, I want to be Prin Polsuk. Yeah. I want to grow up and be Prin Polsuk. That guy's like a fucking anime character. (laughs) Is uh, if you put tofu around meat and fry the shit out of it, it is incredibly delicious. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't think a lot of people know that tofu is actually or can be incredibly delicious, but that is one way to make it. You fry it, like deep fry it, till it's like craggy and crisp. It's wild good. So I had this, you know, kind of list in my mind of the, you know, the five best things out of the 30 things I ate yesterday. And now just hearing you talk about that, which you actually rescued a a piece of that for me because I showed up late and then you had them like touch it on the oven again. And it was it was everything that you said. I think that might have just gone. I don't know. It's now <laughs> might be right at the top because it's like that dish also is like you you feel the the DNA of fried meat, you know, deep fried meat anywhere like chitlins or something or like chicharron, like when it's done like you know with with depth and quality. Yeah, yeah. But then adding the having the tofu in there to give that little bit of sour as a, as a combination inside the fried. I mean that I felt like you you can't learn anything about chicharron on some level. You know, it's like fried pork is great. Yeah. But then this was something that just like blew it wide open yeah yeah yeah. and you're right and Prin did it in while just looking like a, the baddest motherfucker on yeah, the planet he was just <laughs> getting ready for sound check <laughs> so really yeah 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 god what a stupid privilege to be able to just sit and drink a beer and watch a guy like that work i don't know how i got here i mean you've earned it because <laughs> you 
you know, went to culinary school and have risen through the ranks, I just feel like I've kind of flopped into a position <laughs> where I get to watch Prin be Prin and and uh, and eat that food, and it's r- fucking ridiculous. Man. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's all a right. Bad dude. That is a bad dude. Um, but you know, this is part of the Bleacher lifestyle. Fucking god. <laughs> this is what this we get to do. This interview is over. <laughs> this interview is over. I've always wanted to end an episode with a guest saying that. Thank you, Francis, for making dreams come true. The trip is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg, produced by Roads and Kingdoms 4, and I'm so psyched to make this a part of the outro read for Luminary Premium. More on them in a second. Taffy Mukunyadze is our editor and, naturally, our Bleasure correspondent. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustrations by Daisy D. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. This was our last of three episodes from Thailand, so goodbye, Chiang Mai. Goodbye, Ping River. Next week, we'll be alongside a very different body of water, the Industrial Canal in the Ninth Ward. It's the first of a few weeks in that great American city, New Orleans, and I'm pleased to kick it off with author and artist El Casimo Harris. Now for a word about Luminary Premium our future and fabulous home for this show. It is a platform for diverse and amazing podcasts that will all be yours ad-free for just $7.99 a month. We have a pre-sale offer for listeners of the trip. Sign up for Luminary Premium before April 22nd through luminary.link backslash trip, and you'll be enrolled to win experiences from some of Luminary's most exciting creators, like Dinner with Guy Raz, or a personalized podcast about you from Lena Dunham, or a Brooklyn day drinking and or day eating crawl with yours truly. Go to luminary.link backslash trip to sign up today. That's luminary.link backslash trip to sign up before April 22nd. Terms and conditions apply. As a bonus, we'll knock a dollar off your monthly price for the rest of the year by signing up early. No purchase is necessary, must be 18 years or older and a resident of the continental United States. Sweepstakes ends April 22nd, 2019. Void where prohibited. Signing up, however, is for anybody, anywhere, at any time. That's luminary.link backslash trip. We could not do this show without Luminary. Who else would fly me from Thailand to New Orleans just to sit and drink and talk with people I like? I love Luminary already, and I hope you will too. We'll see you there.